So we we're just going to talk about the aim real quick. Yeah, so I think the aim for this series of episodes is to help people engage further with the sermon. It's to help our people who many of them are taking a commute every day and it'll help them think about the message in a new a new way, maybe a deeper way, a, a practical way that they hadn't thought about. And also to help them see how it's related to somebody else in the church's life through some of the interviews that we hope to be able to do and uh, help them hear other people's stories. And so it'll also kind of lend towards greater community within the congregation. So those are kind of the main whys, the main purposes in my mind. And what do you think? Right. And I think you've mentioned before that you, you put in a lot of study and you kind of have to trim down everything that you've studied into a 30-minute segment. So a lot of things don't make the cut, but there are a lot of things that you study that can be really helpful. Right. And so sometimes I'll have a conversation with somebody in the week following. They'll say, man, th this part of the message or when you said this, and I'll be like, you know, that's interesting because X, Y, and Z that I read, I didn't get to talk about, but is, I found that really interesting or that was something that I really liked. But if I put everything that I liked into the message, it would be like an hour and a half. <laughs> and right. nobody wants to listen to that. And I don't even think I want to preach that long. So it can't be that long. Yeah. yeah. So this can be a space for some of those things to be aired out. Right. They can be really helpful. Yeah. It's, it's like a director's cut of yeah. the of the sermon. So those deleted scenes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So yesterday you talked about this constant desire we have for something more in your sermon. Are we there yet? You said that we we constantly like have these things that we're grasping for. And then once we get them, we, we realize that they're not sufficient and we just grasp for something else. And that, that kind of led to talking about these three different ways of that we pursue things that are fleeting. Um, the more something that's more, something that's better or different. What do you think are some practical examples of just pursuing something more? Uh, pursuing more, I think, is like I've got the MacBook computer and I've got the Apple iPhone, but man, I don't have the iPad. Or I've got a TV in the living room, but I don't have one in the bedroom. Or we've got a closet full of clothes, but we really like a walk-in closet full of clothes. You know, that's uh, one of the things you see when... They, uh, like on some kind of show where they've remodeled or they've shown off somebody's awesome house, like they walk in and it's like, whoa, look at their closet. And it's literally the same suit or the same clothing item seven times, you know, mm -hmm. they have more room for more of the same. And so I think those are some ways that people really try to get more. Yeah. So it's basically the idea of materialism and in the West we kind of are fish in the water of materialism and we, we don't realize it's there but it's that's what drives us for everything right and we live in a culture where companies are are rewarded for encouraging that because if i have six pairs of jeans that means i bought it six times and they made a profit six times and so 
for them to encourage me to buy more. It, it, you know, it, it helps them sell more. And so they're constantly giving you this idea that you need more of it. Um, and they want you to buy more because they make more money every time you buy more. Right. Now, obviously you're not saying that whenever we buy things, we've, we've somehow gone against God's will, No. but that there's a different way that we need to encounter it or like, pursue things we it shouldn't be our our end or like the goal so how can we wholeheartedly follow jesus but still live where we we are buying things right and one of the things i thought about including the message was a lot of the people that we read about in the old testament they had a lot of things um i mean in scripture even gives us details of you know how many how many head of cattle Lot had, or uh, how many flocks Abraham had, or those types of things, and so, and then Solomon, we have this record of Solomon had all of this wealth, and it, Solomon's problem wasn't that he had all of those things. Solomon's problem was that he was looking for some answer in those things, and so there's that evil in having six pairs of jeans. The problem is if I think that if I buy the seventh pair, I'm going to feel some spark of joy you know Mm -hmm. and the other thing that kind of goes along with that is right now something that's super popular on netflix is this marie kondo this lady you know she helps people kind of declutter their houses and the thing that she encourages them to ask is does this item spark joy and i think it's great that people are decluttering their homes and maybe getting rid of stuff that they don't really need but I, I would take issue with that basic question of her process of does this item spark joy? Well, no item's really going to spark joy. You know, mm-hmm. there might be some things that we enjoy having, but no item sparks joy. Um, so there's nothing wrong with having things as long as we're not looking to take those things to be the answer. You know? Right. And then you even went a step beyond, I think, the material. And you talked about uh, a better job or maybe... Uh, a better relationship, and those be other, being other ways that we we per, pursue more, and we think that that's going to be the answer. Right. So um, more prestige, or more people answering to us at our job, or more people looking up to us, more people following us on social media is something that people really strive for today. Um, I you know something that I found super interesting is how many students of yours want you to follow them on YouTube. Or subscribe to their channel or those types of things because that's kind of like when I was younger, that was not even in, that wasn't even a consideration. But that's a, that's another way that you can have more today. You can have more subscribers than the other person. Uh, it's kind of a new gauge of popularity yeah. that I never had to think about. Um, so more fame, more prestige, more respect. Um, and, you know, it's interesting that if you if you watch our nation and politics, it's interesting how many people who have made lots of money suddenly want to go into politics because it's mm-hmm. kind of like, I've done the money thing, I'm going to do the power thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to do the authority thing. and Maybe that's the uh, the answer. Right. And in that mindset, if getting more is achieving the end in life or your goal then they've achieved it. Right. And they, so they can, they're apt to lead us. Right. They, so we, in that mindset, it's like, oh, it just makes sense that someone who is successful, 
who has accomplished what humans set out to accomplish uh, would be the people who lead us. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but that's, that's true, that if that is the epitome of success for us, then these are the most successful people. Why wouldn't they lead us? Yeah. Right. You, you also talked about trying different things, and you specifically talked about one that I, I felt like was maybe a bit surprising, which was religion as being something different that you can try that could be the answer. What do you, what do you feel like is the difference um, between adding religion into the mix of your life, like you were talking about yesterday, and following Jesus with everything you have? Yeah, so I, I feel like that right now we have this really, a lot of people want to consume religion. So religion is this thing that you can tune into, you can watch, you can go to an incredible experience, and it's kind of this, people will, I'm going to walk out of the service feeling this incredible, you know, feeling. And so if religion is a feeling that it's something that can be consumed or experienced, and that's not going to provide long-lasting, sustainable joy. Um, it's going to be just one more thing that we're trying to tack into our schedules. And one of the things that we constantly struggle with in planning ministry and um, encouraging people to get into groups or encouraging people to take the next step and begin the growth track or to serve on a team is that their schedule is incredibly full. And if we think of religion as just another thing that we have to figure out a way to fit into our schedules, there's, there's never going to be enough room and it's also not going to satisfy. If we plunge ourselves into it, we give ourselves to it. Like Jesus said, we die to self and it's something that consumes us. It'll change the way that we think. It'll change the decisions that we make. It'll completely reorient our priorities. And so it won't be just one more thing on the grocery list of stuff we hope will bring us happiness or take us to that next level but it'll be something that completely reorients everything else. And suddenly it, it changes the way that I view those other things that I used to think would bring me happiness. I see them differently now. I see them as good gifts that God has given me, common graces, things that God has given me to enjoy or to use, but they're not the fulfillment. They're not the final destination. They'll never be able to satisfy and I think that when you have that realization, you can enjoy them more because you're not putting all this incredible pressure on them. Yeah. Then it'll have to be your savior, you know. Right. Which is tough because it's, in one sense, it's just like, oh, yeah, I'll just give up everything in life. But that's not, a, that's not something you can really do. Like, you're still going to go to work on Monday after the Sunday morning service and, and hearing that you need to give up everything and follow Jesus. Uh, you're still going to have kids who are participating in sports and you go to all the things and then you're going to have that hanging out with people and you and buying things <laughs> like all these things are still going to happen every week uh but it's it's not that those things necessarily change but your mindset changes as you go into them and they they take on a new meaning and like you said it's a it's a means to this end of um everything's about following jesus everything is this worship of God. So all seeing life, every aspect of life as uh, something for the worship of God. But that's, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that 
when you look at the disciples, Jesus said, follow me, and they literally walked away from everything. And so it's very cut and dry. Like, we're walking away from our fishing boats. We're walking away from our table receipt of custom, in Matthew's case. Um, and so it was a very clear-cut line. Um, and for us, it can be a little muddy. The water's going to be muddied because um, I'm not asking you to quit your job or um, to leave your family or anything along those lines. You know, that would that would not be appropriate. Going back to work, like you said, going to the store on Monday, but thinking about it differently, yeah. seeing it as um, as a means, not the end. Right. And it, it's not that we're asking you to quit your job or anything, but we've seen people in our congregation who have, because of this radical call of Jesus, um, changed their job so that they could better serve Jesus and better be a part of their family. So it, we never... We're not we're not saying you need to quit your job, but sometimes whenever you're following Jesus with everything you have, it changes the orientation of your life completely, and you're making those decisions because you're focused on Jesus. Right. I mean, we've seen people maybe switch jobs so that they're better able to be a part of community or to serve in some way. Also, seen people uh, say, "Oh, I'm not going to take overtime, or I'm going to step back from from a promotion." so that I have more time to disciple my family or my kids because it has reoriented everything. So yeah, that's a great example of how that has worked out practically. And when you talk to them, it's not like, oh, I made this major sacrifice. It's like, this is better. This is so much better. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so what does it look like to die to our desires for more and for better and for different things and to live in Christ? On Monday morning, what does it look like? I think it looks like waking up on Monday morning and feeling this contentment and having a peace and experiencing the fruits of the Spirit, mm-hmm. love and joy and patience. And I think that that comes in different stages for different people. I think for some people, they experience peace in a different way or uh, in a different staggering coming into their life. So, so for example, here's what I'm trying to say. Um, for me, some fruits of the Spirit are more evident than others. For me, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit that I'm constantly having to cultivate in my life that weeds are constantly trying to grow up around and I need to give attention to patience is another one. Um, however, there are, the, those fruits are, are present and growing. And, and because of that, I don't need to look elsewhere for these things in my life. And so I, I think it looks like a constant tending of that garden, if you will. Um, but it's growing and it's being fruitful in my life. Yeah. You know, for me, the idea of manna and this... Uh, daily bread and what Jesus refers to in his prayer, give us our, this day our daily bread. Um, a lot of times whenever I'm looking into the future or looking towards that next thing, it takes away from the joy that I could have in today. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of pushing it off and saying, ah, oh, today is just a way to get to that time in the future. Um, and I never 
seek God today because it's like, oh, after I get all this stuff done, then I'll, I'll be able to spend more time in the Word and I'll be able to spend more time in discipleship with others and to be able to minister uh, the way that I want to. But really, whenever, whenever I'm able to step back, I know that I'm, I'm putting off the joy that God wants for me to have every single day because I'm never going to reach a time whenever everything on my table is going to be cleared and I'm just able to um, do whatever I want because I have so much time on my hands. I'm going to be busy every day, but I, I've got to realize that we're, we're not supposed to, <laughs> to plan things off or push them off, but rather live for God every day. And that's, that's why I said to die daily and give us this day our daily bread. Yeah, so I really like what you said there, and it makes me think of, you know, kind of the opening analogy that I used in the messages. You know, our kids, when we're on trip, are constantly asking, are we there yet? And as adults, we're constantly asking, am I there yet? Am I there yet? Have I reached that level where I'll finally experience happiness? That's, it's a little bit off. And so I think when we have died to self, we're no longer asking him, are we there yet? It's, it's recognizing he's here. I'm here. Mm. You know, it's not this, I'm looking for this thing. It's here. And I have opportunity to be with him. And he's with me. And he's doing this work in, in my life. And it's not something that I have to be straining for. He's given it to me. So what needs to happen is really this, you're not looking for something more, better, or different. You're giving your life over to Jesus. And it's a total sacrifice of your life. Um, and then Jesus gives it back to you, totally reoriented towards him. Um, and we have so many stories of people in our church who have done just that. And their life has been turned around. But we, we do want to share one um, and that's Amy's, and you can tell Yeah, me. so the reason I felt like Amy's story fits so well with us is because there's actually a moment in it when she says that um, part of the reason she struggled with addiction was because she felt like drugs would help her be sharper, do more, be more. Mm. And, and then there's a point when she recognizes that her life is a mess and she wants to live her Christian life, and she says, I can't do this. I'm not able to do this. And she just doesn't think that she's up to it. Um, but she comes to the point where she comes to the end of herself. She gives it over to God. And he empowers her, enables her to, to live this new way. So she's died to self and now lives in Christ. I think we came to Faith Church when I was like six. First time I'd ever been to church, so... Everybody just seemed like happy and they, they cared about each other and you know you just feel the love at this church even as a child I remember that. I know as a, as a kid I always for some reason just felt not good enough maybe not smart enough not pretty enough just not enough so I just tried to basically get in where I mean where do you fit in you know I just felt like I fit in with not the crowd that was doing right and I don't know where that came from but um, that was early on for me. I remember being young and just wanting to be grown. I just thought I could do things on my own and, and be grown. So uh, I made some really bad choices. Anything that my parents told me not to do, I, I wanted to do. I think marijuana and then alcohol was a big one. And then it escalated to um, 
methamphetamine, you know, it made me uh, feel like I could do more things and I was sharper, every, everything. And I, I didn't feel like I was hurting anybody. I didn't feel like anybody knew, you know, um, and it just escalated for so long. I think it was 2001. I just, all this fear came up in me. Um, it was after like 9-11. I remember wanting to pray and wanting to change and Satan already came in and was lying to me and told and tell me I couldn't, you know, be this person that I would have to be to be a Christian. And immediately, you know, I just wanted to hold on to part of my life and give him some of it, and you can't do that. Um, Steve and I got in some trouble, and he, he got in trouble actually, and it seems like I got worse after that um, with my addiction and just, I don't know what happened, it kind of spiraled. Um, and it was, he was already in jail, and so I was facing going to jail, and then my kids would definitely know what was going on, and I cried out to God, and I just asked for his help. Right away, I got into drug court and went into rehab, and I remember being in rehab on a Friday night women's meeting, and just, uh, I felt broken, and I needed help, and I didn't know how to live life and be sober. Um, and these women, they, they were, um, I, I could hear myself in their stories and in that book that I was reading, and that, this was all in the first night. And I just asked for help, and by the time I got back to um, treatment that night, one of the women in the, in the meeting called and, and said, asked me if I wanted to go to the retreat, because they were having a retreat, and that they would pay for it. And I asked drug court, and they usually don't let you do things like that, but they let me go. And that's where um, I, I surrendered to God with my addiction. I just, I just begged him to take it from me because the obsession um, to use and drink um, is really strong. You know, that's all I had ever known. So um, that weekend he took it. Uh, I, I didn't ever um, have a desire to, to pick up meth and me ever again. So. I started working even then before I got all the way surrendered to him. So it's good. It's real good. While I was in treatment, Steve, his mom, and my kids, they all came to church Easter Sunday, you know. So God was already working and I didn't know it. So drug court for me was um, one of the best things that happened to me. You could just tell that they, they knew where we were coming from and um, they loved us and I didn't. I didn't feel so ashamed. I realized I just wanted to, to be sober, and so I did what they told me. I think I was sober three years, kind of like all the other times in my life. Before I would use, I wasn't going to meetings. I was working all the time, and the time I got complacent, and um, so I drank on two different occasions. And um, one, the last time that I, that I actually drank, and nobody knew about it, just me and Steve, and um, I was like, I can't do this, because if I do this, I'm going to go back. I think it was um, back to church Sunday. When I came back to church, um, immediately I, I just felt God tugging on my heart, and this time I wasn't going to ignore it. And um, I, I think right away God sent Brandy, and we were in meetings together. And he, God is just so awesome, how he works. And... Uh, Throughout my life, I've seen him. Um, yeah, he says, be still and know that I am God. And when I was still, I could see all the times that he had chased me. 
never gave up on me. So New Life is our recovery group. When I think that, I think of what's going on there, I just I have to realize that God's working behind those scenes too, and, um, and the people that's came, and um, you know it's, it's Him that's doing the work, and we're just here, and we get to um, watch what He's going to do. Another cool thing that's happened to me in sobriety is I got to speak for drug court after I graduated, and they had sponged other people's um, records, and I hadn't gotten mine yet, and I. Um, had asked uh, the prosecutor and she said to call me so I called her it was a while later and she's like well no they didn't expunge sponge it but I mean we're gonna work on it and we're gonna get it taken care of and um, and I and I have it's like what God says he does for our sin he just it's gone it's like it was never there through this journey of my sobriety and walking with Christ um, so much life has happened my daughter had a baby. She's about to turn seven years old. I've got nine grandkids. None of them have ever seen me under the influence of alcohol or drugs. My daughter's about to get married. My parents, um, they come to church now. They're the ones that first brought me here. And God's working in their life. My mom just got baptized last year. My dad is strong in the church. I've got a strong relationship with my husband. He's sober. Life is so good. I just can't even tell you all the blessings it would take too long. I get to make it a living amends with my children. Um, I've got to show them that, that you can get sober and you can live for Christ. And I know that my children and my husband, that God is chasing them like he chased me. And, uh, and he says, all things work for the good of those who love me and called to my purpose. So I just, I just know that um, I, I don't even know how to explain the goodness that, that it's been. Is there a name? Is it, is it faith? Faith something? I don't know. I've been referring to it as the debrief just because that's what... Um, mm. It might be the kind of thing that we... Faith debrief? I don't know. Does it need to be... Does faith need to be attached to it? I don't think so. I mean, it's going to be on the Faith Church podcast. We're really just trying to figure out a name for this subset of episodes. Oh, it's series. in the exact same. Yeah. Uh, so if someone's a subscriber to the Faith Church podcast, they're going to see these, I think. Yeah. That's the way I'm thinking about it. You know, maybe after we do this for a month, we're like, I think it'd be better to change it up. It's all kind of experimental right now. Yeah. Okay. Oh, sounds good. So... We got some cool ambient rain hitting the window still right now. <laughs> That's right. Um, Makes it feel very organic and authentic. And That's right. There's a there's a there's a title sermon deleted scenes. <laughs> deleted scenes. <laughs> That's right. Faith director's cut. Really, really, the whole reason we're doing this is just, just an excuse for us to make coffee and talk about sermons. Absolutely. <laughs> That's right. Which we do anyways most of the time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now we're just recording it. Yeah. Sweet. All right. I think that's probably good. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? 
Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.